0: Christ, the solid rock we stand. There is no firmer place in this universe. Today we're going to read the scriptures from John chapter 4 and to set the stage just for a minute. Jesus has just completed talking with the woman at the well of Sychar and has declared that he was the Messiah starting in verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or, Why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him some food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more? And the harvest, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, And you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord.
1: What a remarkable story in the life and ministry of Christ. Uh, And what lessons he will give us about what we should be doing in the harvest. What we ought to be doing in our mission field, in our harvest field, and we see Christ taking all kinds of risks to reach people for Christ. We said something last week, and I repeat it, John Piper said it, that missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Now, you got to follow this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. And we do missions because people are not worshiping God. Do you get it? You do evangelism. We go to people that don't know Christ in order that they may join the throng of us who adore and love Christ But how did you get turned into a worshiper? Somebody had to introduce you to Christ, and you left what you'd been bowing down before, as it were. And now you become a follower of Christ. So we do evangelism. We support missions because we want there to be worshipers. And we find out in this marvelous chapter that we could stay uh, for weeks just to discuss what worship is when he said that worship is something that takes place in your human spirit and in the realm of truth. Jesus warned, he quoted Isaiah that said, this people draw nigh to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's very scary to learn to be external in worship, outward in worship, and measure everything that's going on outwardly so that we need a lot of help To call it a worship service when all the time he's saying true worship is internalized and it concerns itself with truth. But if you've got truth without worship, you're dead. No matter how much truth you say, the Pharisees had a lot of truth, but they were dead and they didn't know God. So just matter of fact, he said, when they teach you the Bible in Matthew 23, do what they say, just don't live like they live. And so he says we combine our internal spirit with truth. Now we move in the narrative and we see that this woman has truly become a follower of Christ. She accepts that he is Messiah and she can't be quiet about it. So I want us to look at three things today. I want us, first of all, to understand what Christ considers the harvest. What is he talking about? The harvest is ripe. What is the harvest he's talking about? Two, let's look at the fact that the harvest was the consuming priority of Christ. It was Christ's priority to pursue the harvest. And then thirdly, we'll look at his concerns about the harvest. He has some concerns and we'll look at them. First of all, Christ saw a harvest in Samaria, so much so that he said, I must go by way of Samaria. Well, that's like going through maybe the worst part of any town you've ever been in, and maybe with the greatest racial animosity of any place you can go, and besides that, You're going to come up on a woman that we would want to call a streetwalker because she doesn't have a very good reputation. She's not known for being a one-man woman. She's had five men. She's shacking up with the one she has. And Jesus said, I have a harvest in Samaria. I want to go. A lot of times, uh, three times in the Gospels, Jesus mentioned the harvest, Matthew 9, Luke 10, John 4. One place was Galilee, the other place is Samaria. Some believe the other was Perea, the land east of Jordan. And it's like Christ is saying, I see a harvest in the land of the despised, the Gentiles, Galilee of the Gentiles. I've got a harvest in the land of the hated, Samaria. And I've got a a harvest in the land of neglect. Those people beyond the east of Jordan, way out of the sphere of Jerusalem, neglect. You don't want to go to Perea. And he says, I have a harvest there. What happens in this harvest? Well, he takes the risk of talking to this woman. And uh, since the last sermon on this, I looked up some research to find out what the rabbi said about anyone talking to a woman. Listen to this. A man shall not be alone with a woman in an inn, not even with his sister or his daughter, on account of what men may say. A man shall not talk with a woman in the street, not even with his own wife. No pu- public conversation. And especially with another woman on account of what men may say. They went on to say, He that talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself and neglects the study of the law and at last will inherit Gehenna. Christ went against all public mores to be talking to this woman. Twelve o'clock noon, no women would be found dead with her And do you think sometimes we are so conservative and so safe we aren't worth spit when it comes to reaching sinners? Because we treat them like they're the enemy when they're really the victim. Are they in the power of Satan, the loss. Were you ever in the power of Satan? I can't hear you. You were once driven by the God of this age, Ephesians 2. You were lost. But we get this kind of, I only want to be with Christians. I only want to be with those with a good profile. Jesus said, I want to be with sinners. I want to be with notorious sinners. And he had to defend himself in Luke 15. He says, you don't think a man's bad that stays up all night to find a lost sheep. And you don't think a woman is overdoing it to sweep the floor until she finds her dowry coin. And you don't think it's uh, crazy for a man to accept his son back. Why do you begrudge me wanting to reach the lost people? I came to seek and to save the religious. You don't know the verse, do you? Come on, you're supposed to, you're supposed to argue with me. Tell me I'm, I'm wet. I came to seek the... Lost. You have to ask yourself, is that part of my agenda on this earth? This was his harvest. He didn't care what the Pharisees, what Jerusalem said. He said, I'm going to risk reputation. And notice where the disciples are. They're in town, squeaky clean. They're hanging out at the bread market. They have nothing to do with this woman coming to Christ. You see, Christ is a lot more evangelistic than his followers. He came looking for this woman. Didn't matter what she was racially. Didn't matter her moral life. Didn't matter that her religion was wrong. Do you ever meet someone who says, ooh, they got a different religion. Well, good. Everybody's religious, even an atheist. He just worships himself. Everybody's wrong until you come to Jesus. I was right theologically even before I was saved. I knew who Jesus was, absolutely. I just didn't want him. But I knew he was the right one. You think that's possible? You can't grow up around the folks I did and not know it. I didn't want it, but I had to know it. Because they told me whether I liked it or not. Because that's what they were. See, quit acting like a Christian and just be a Christian. When I step in a room, I don't start saying, Well, you know, I'm a man and I'm Caucasian and I'm good looking. I can't do that because you would question it. But you just, that's what you are. You bring what, and and once you become a Christian, you ought to be, that's what I am. It's not, oh, oh, I got to play the Christian thing now. That's hope, that's what you've become. Four marks that Jesus led this woman to the Lord. The first mark, if you could just remember the letter C. It'll help you. She confesses when she goes back to town. She goes into town and she says in verse twenty nine, "Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ?" And she obviously felt he was the Christ. To run back in town, the first thing she did was she confessed she met Christ and he could be the one. You know what? I'm suspicious of anyone that says they know him that won't confess him. That's why it's important for you to get baptized as soon as you profess faith. Go public as soon as you can. And she runs back to town. She tells everybody it's psychare, so that the city turns out to go see Jesus. So she is uh, confessing Christ from the get-go. Second of all, she changed her values. And this may be a straining uh, a point here, but something is interesting in the narrative. It says she left her water pots and she went into town. Now, a water pot could be a precious item to them. Why did she leave it? One of two reasons, maybe. She may have done it to make haste to get back into town and to tell them about Christ. Some interpreters make the point Maybe since she had discovered the spring of living water that was in her, she was no longer preoccupied with physical water. That she was so elated at the drink of eternal life that she had, that she was able to just change her perspective. And all the way through this narrative, there's this tension between the physical and the spiritual, the temporal and the eternal. Here she comes wanting physical water. Christ gives her spiritual water. Here the disciples are all caught up with physical bread. Jesus is eating bread that is of the spirit. Jesus says, you guys can't even see the harvest. They had eyes, but they couldn't perceive. And it's this whole contrast, physical, spiritual. She left that that brought her to the well, and she goes back. She was changed. And then something interesting. When you become a Christian, what does she do? She's got a concern for the loss. She didn't even get to take an evangelism course. She never heard of Billy Graham. She never went to an EE class. But immediately she runs back to the town and please come and see a man. Look at verse 39 many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Just like that. They knew her reputation. But she runs back. You've got to come see him. Concern for the lost. It's a true mark of those who have been saved. They can't, uh, they used to sing, I just can't keep it to myself. I got to tell it to somebody. I can't keep it to myself. I wonder if you got it, if you're keeping it. Because this, see, joy is doubled when you share it. And sorrow is cut in half when you share it. You want to double your joy? I know within two years, I say, most Christians quit witnessing to anyone. They usually have alienated family. that said, man, we don't want you at any more of the parties. You're no fun anymore. Uh, I knew guys when I first started this church. They'd go to a lot of the uh, parties and they'd still drink and still, they hadn't made all the changes we think of, but they just wanted to talk about Jesus. And before long, at the party, they said, don't come to any more of our parties. We don't want to hear about God. Have a joint, let's boogie a little bit, but leave Jesus out of here. Because they didn't know. They hadn't cleaned up all the stuff. We said. but they couldn't keep it to themselves. They wanted to talk about Christ and they quit being invited to parties. Final thing is, she went with an invitation that is so beautiful. She said, come, come see the man. And Jesus told her, go to your husband. And he finds out and reveals that it really isn't her husband. But tell him to come. A part of the harvest of Christ is telling through saved sinners to others Come, come to this source of eternal water, this source of eternal life. The harvest of Christ is illustrated in this woman. You're not bad enough, mean enough, ugly enough, racist enough. It doesn't matter the enoughs. When Christ visits, he comes looking for sinners, and he doesn't have a certain kind he's looking for, just a sinner. Christ saves sinners of whom I am chief. And what happens to many churches? We die because uh, we turn internal. We're all concerned about everything internal. Budgets, uh, uh, the buildings maybe, uh, this program, that program. That's okay, that's wonderful. But it's easy to soon forget the harvest. The harvest isn't here. The harvest is out there. Jesus goes on to say that his priority is this harvest. Listen to what he says. The disciples come back with a spiritual perception of a turtle. They don't know what's going on. These guys, every place you read them in the gospel, they're hungry. They're, They're running the kitchen all the time. They don't even know what Messiah is doing, they're all about groceries. Food, fish, loaves, Uh, even on the, the boat going over to Galilee. Did we bring any bread? Come on. Can you get, you're running with the bread of life. Well, we don't know. I want bread you could eat. Yeah, in four hours from now, you'll be hungry again. And they come back, and they're a little shocked. They didn't want to ask Jesus, we can't believe you're talking to this woman. This is an outrage, but they dare not say it. And they said, you ought to eat something, Lord. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My priority for living, he says, is doing the will of my Father and doing his work. If I ask you what's the priority of your life, what would it be? Food? Bread? Something physical. Something in the physical realm. Possessions, hobbies, whatever. And Jesus is really quoting to them Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but he shall live on every word that proceeds from God. And he's saying... I, in this harvest, there is a uh, menu when you're leading someone to Christ and showing them how to have eternal life. There is something about a bread from heaven that you eat on that you'll never, never find in a loaf of bread. You'll never find it in a brand new car. You'll never find it in anything physical in this world. There is a satisfaction in just leading one person to Christ or influencing them that he said, I live to do the will of God. And the will of God is go to Samaria contaminate your character, get involved with a fallen woman that ought to just be left alone and go to hell as a Samaritan religious mix-up. But he said, no, 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 no. The will of God for my life is to go to the land of the hated and find a woman that's despised because that's my food that feeds my inner man. And I want to not only do the will of God, if you do the will of God, he says, and do his work. Doing the will of God will never be for you to be passive. What's you doing? Well, I'm praying about what my gift is. Give up. Give up. Let's just admit you don't have one. Get busy anyway. Work for God. Well, there's nothing to do. Sign up for VBS. Those kids are give you something to do. Work with children. Work with. We got more to do than you. You you just uninformed. Rip Van Winkle. I'm just sleeping through the harvest. Oh, when's Jesus is going to come? <laughs> well, he, he could have already passed, as sleepy as you are. He says in First Thess- Thessalonians 5, if you think he's coming, wake up, for the night is on us. Wake up. Get busy. Be sober. Be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, seeks someone to devour. Get with it. Stay awake. I lost my whole team of men by going to sleep in a garden. They all bailed out because they all would rather sleep than stay up and pray with me as I face my most difficult hours. And so here he's saying, doing the will of God is my priority. And the will of God says, go and find lost people and seek to influence them for Christ. The work of God is turning sinners into worshipers, turning sinners into into people who bow before Jesus Christ, to turn people from going to hell and by turning them towards heaven. The Son of Man. I think of Sean Giese put out a challenge to us a uh, while back. Uh, 12 people within the next 12 months, and he broke it down. Could you not go after one person per month just to show them where they could have eternal life? How how dare him challenge us that way? Doesn't he know we're in many Bible studies? We don't have time for the perishing. We're getting deeper in the word. We're full of the word. We're just not full of obedience. Listen to what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said this. Some of you good people who do nothing except go to public meetings, Bible readings, and prophetic conferences, and other forms of spiritual dissipation would be a good deal better Christians if you would look after the poor and needy around you. If you would just tuck up your sleeves for work and go and tell the gospel to dying men, you would find your spiritual health mightily restored. For very much of the sickness of Christians comes through their having nothing to do. All feeding and no working makes men spiritual dyspeptics. Be idle, careless, with nothing to live for, nothing to care for, no sinner to pray for, no backslider to lead back to the cross. No trembler to encourage. No little child to tell of a Savior. No gray-headed man to enlighten in the things of God. No object, in fact, to live for. And who wonders if you begin to groan and to murmur and to look within until you are ready to die of despair. He has a work for us to do. And I am amazed... Epaphroditus in Philippians 2, it said, He was working himself to the point of death to make up for your lack of service. I see some people in the church, we keep loading them up. It's even in giving. We can predict who the major givers will, and they've given year in and year out, year in and year out, because they're doing the will of God, they're working They sometimes can faint and be discouraged in well doing, but they keep this ministry going under Christ. They serve, they give, they pray, they attend. Some, it's a spiritual victory just to fall in here Sunday morning. You think you've served God just by coming, you didn't serve, you came to the table. You're at the table. I'm doing the work. And I know you're hoping I'll finish. I'm not done yet. I'm prepared. No, no. Some have already taught classes. Some have already done this. I'm amazed at how many people never seem to get involved in the harvest. What's going on? Christ said, I want to do the will of God. And I came to do the work of God. I was involved, uh, Carol and I were involved in a meeting in which um, the group was going over the goals and what they were going to do, I guess, in this next year, something like that. And um, as the chairman of the meeting read off, they'd had a little like a pilot group putting together stuff. Uh, Let's see. Hiking. Uh, Let's see. Hiking, maybe some community contact. This, that, this, that. And so as I was riding home with Carolyn, I said, Did you hear anything that sounded like anything Christ died for? Just a bunch of activities that I could get at the Y. Or I could get at the Elks Lodge. I didn't hear anything about prayer. I didn't hear anything about evangelism. I didn't hear anything about missions. Didn't hear anything about helping the poor. It was just kind of, let's have fun with each other. That's okay. Okay. We all need fun. We need a smile at least twice a year. But when you're in God's church, the priority of your life should become the harvest. Because that's what Christ's priority is. He cares about the harvest. Now, let me read to you some concerns that Christ has about the harvest. Um. Number one, he's afraid we will delay to get involved. Look what he says. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, I believe the disciples would would want to say, I wonder what he's talking about. And while they're looking up, people are coming out of this uh, little town of Sychar because they're emptying the town. They didn't see it. They didn't see it. That's why he said, lift up your eyes and see what I see. You remember, Elijah had a servant at Dothan that all they could see were the enemies that were going to destroy them. And Elijah said, Lord, open his eyes. And when he got spiritual perception, He saw the armies of heaven supporting Elisha and his servant. Here, lift up your eyes. Can God have a church that can't hear him? Can God have people that can't see? Spiritual thing. He told the seven churches of Asia Minor, he that has an ear, let him hear what I'm saying. And the indication seems to be, you can go deaf on me. I'm talking, the voice of eternity, and you act like you can't hear me. That's scary. You may not be a sheep, because my sheep hear my voice. And so, he says, the harvest is now. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. The first thing I think that he would say is, don't say tomorrow. The harvest is in front of you right now. Not four months, right now. Delay, get rid of it. George Meade was the uh, lead general for the Army of the Potomac. And after Gettysburg, uh, Lee began to retreat as fast as he could back to Virginia. They had suffered an incredible loss. Pickett's Charge was a slaughter. And so Lee wanted to get his men uh, get him away from Pennsylvania, and go to his home state of Virginia. He knew the terrain there. It's why the northerners could not ever outdo him in Virginia. And so he was fleeing from George Meade. And when he was fleeing with his army, what was left of it, he came to the Potomac River. And they were having stormy weather. And the river was overflowing. It was flood conditions. And so the army was stuck at the Potomac, and the Union Army is on them. It looks like it's going to be inevitable slaughter and the end of the Civil War. But George Meade was famous for marching troops. He was famous for organization, and he was famous for delay. He always delayed And while he delayed, the Potomac River receded and Lee got his forces beyond the Potomac and the Civil War went for another two years. That was 1863 after Gettysburg. The war ends in 1865 with thousands of more lives killed. Meade could have done it had he acted that night and went for it, but he delayed. Delay was his model. Someone finally said to Lincoln, we got a guy out in Mississippi at Vicksburg that can fight, but he likes to drink. Lincoln said, find out what he's drinking and order it for all my generals. I want someone to bring me a victory. I'm not waiting for another delay. And some of you have been delaying way too long. When do you get in this harvest? Many churches... We die with the comforts and we become in-house. Howie Hendricks used to always say, any life that all the roads go inward and any church where everything is inward is in the process of dying. We must think outward. Delay is Christ's concern. Don't say four months. I read a statement on Coleridge, the famous poet. And uh, when Coleridge Uh, his life was a tragedy of lack of discipline. Uh, Never did so great a mind produce so little. He left Cambridge University to join the army. He left the army because in spite of all of his erudition, he could not rub down a horse. He returned to Oxford and left without a degree. He began a paper that only lasted for 10 editions. It has been said of him, he lost himself in visions of work to be done that always remain to be done. Coleridge had every poetic gift but one, the gift of sustained, concentrated effort. Paul said, this one thing I do, not these ten things I dabble in. It's a shame to see some of you wasting your life and not being involved in the harvest. Where are you in the harvest? He said they're sowers and they're reapers. Now, he said in Matthew, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew 9, I'm listening. Those who have paper Bibles, he saw the crowds, in chapter 9, verse 36. And he had compassion for them because they were harassed. And that meant skinned alive. As they were flayed, is the word, and helpless. They were fallen down like sheep that can't get back up on their feet. Like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. But the workforce is small. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to make him feel more comfortable. No, the word in the Greek is ekbalo. It means thrust out, thrown in. It means just grab him by the seat of the pants and throw him in. I'm praying God will grab some of you by the seat of the pants and throw you in the harvest. Or put thorns in your bed. Do it, Lord. We don't deserve to sleep while men perish. He said, pray. So there's two things. We need laborers. And for those of you that are laboring and you're wore out and you do double duty. Pray the Lord of the harvest will thrust others into this harvest. We can't do it all by ourselves. We need the Spirit of God to call them. You know, I'm tired of talking to young people about stay away from sex, drugs, and alcohol. You know what's missing for young people? Is let's challenge you to help your generation not go to hell. Let's challenge you to not live just for the American dream. More money. More money. More money, no dream, no purpose, no value, just money. People are perishing, homes are breaking up, kids are strung out, girls stay pregnant, no one to take care of. Where in the world is the labor force? Do we care? Even do we pray? And Jesus said, pray. The harvest is ripe, it's plentiful. Something else Jesus, I think, alerts us to is, don't ever remember the sower and the reaper are partners. There's some, you know, I remember when Sweet Davis, every time I'd ask him to speak, at least 100 people would get saved. And his sermons weren't half as good as mine. It just ticked me. I'd come back and have a service. Well, we had about 100 come forward. What do he speak on? We don't know, but, man, we all came. So I got I didn't want to have him preach for us anymore, having too many results. I tried to evangelize, did a poor job. Five, six years preaching, holding old-fashioned revivals. Go two weeks, maybe one and a half people got saved. One was the pastor's wife, and the other was the pastor's kid. You know, b- very few results. Uh, finally, it was when I went at a Bible college that I caught fire. I said, wow, teaching kids that don't know what they've got. That was the thrill. And I prayed this morning. I said, Lord, where am I in this harvest? I don't lead many people to the Lord. Am I even in the harvest I've been willing to work for you. I, I think I'm in your will. I came back to the Bay Area for your will. Everybody says, abandon the Bay Area. God says, I've got a harvest there. I've got a harvest. I'm going to save there. Where in the harvest are you? Do we need to pray you'd get involved? Pray that God anoint your eyes. That's another thing Christ is concerned about is you can't see what he sees. And that is our struggle all the time. He sees things eternal. He sees where that man will be in 50 years from now. And C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory said, if we could see what each other would look like in 50 years, in 50 years, we will learn not to envy anybody because some people we see that looks maybe poor, maybe just to use that economic classification, maybe not as sharp as you would think, but they might be a child of God, and in 50 years, they will be so gloriously clothed with glory that you would envy them if you knew whether they were headed And others that you think has got it all in 50 years will be in hell saying, just give me a drink of water. So he says, you should never envy any man, despise any person, for you don't know their true state, whether they're rich or poor for eternity. This is the harvest. This is the harvest. Uh, I think of... um, Christ and this sowing, reaping. i like to say something that's amazing to me. Carol and I, when we're out, and she, you know, if you're a school teacher, she'll see kids that she taught at Collins Elementary, and they'll come up, see her. But let me tell you something we hear a lot of times. We'll see kids that no longer come to the church, not even a Christian, and guess what they'll say to us many times? Oh, yeah, I was at Iwana every Wednesday night. And people helped me memorize those scriptures. I can never forget it. Awana, Iwana. Or you'll see a kid that was in our junior high group, children's church somewhere. We'll meet him out there. They'll come up out of courtesy and niceness. Hey, hi, Pastor Carolyn. Where you going to church? We're not church. Uh... Uh, you know, we don't do that thing. Well, when your folks brought you right. We did. And then sometimes I'll hear, I was just uh, with a couple, that they prayed for years for a daughter. And just three months ago, she was saved. But she grew up in our church when she's a little girl. She was evangelized by Sunday school teachers, a groups, on and on and on. And you know, the sowers take the most patience because you don't get to see the crop. I think of Anna Marie and that group. Carolyn, they had a banquet here last week. And there, uh, she gives this little gray-headed woman down here at 90 years of age, who's been working in our wanna how many years? 20, 25. Had two hips replaced, but she still gets up those stairs to check up on kids. You're kidding. 90-year-old, Mary and John's still beautiful, just as pretty as the first time I met her. And you can't get in the harvest. It's just sowing, prompting kids. You remember Romans 3.23, the wages of sin hit Johnny. Get over here. Get this verse. I mean, it's the most thankless kind of ministry, dealing with kids, huh? But we all want them to become Billy Grahams before they become Al Capone. <laughs> but somebody's got to sow. Because not all of them come from Christian homes. You parents that have poured years, money, time, scripture, who knows? Somebody else may get to lead your kid to the Lord. But you'll be in on the reward. Those who sow and those who reap are one and uh, every once in a while, I'll meet somebody that says, "Yeah, I got saved during one of your sermons." I said, "Well, why didn't you tell me? Well, it's ten years ago." Well, I don't care. I'll take it any time. I, I want another notch. I led somebody else to the Lord. I want the credit. Not really. Only God saves. Preachers don't save. We preach, we teach, but only God saves, right? So all the notches are at the cross. All the notches are there. I ask you, uh, what do you plan to do with the rest of your life? Um, You know what, missionaries, it's a very common statement. I couldn't find just one statement, but a very common reply in missions for years has been this. It's happened many times. By the time an unreached tribe is reached with the gospel, this is one of the most common comments they make. What took you so long? What? What took you so long to reach us? My mom and dad have already died and perished without this gospel, without this Christ. What's taking you so long to get to us? Francis Schaeffer grew up in Philadelphia And one day, he's walking on the uh, outskirts of Philadelphia, and he's walking by the city dump. And he said, as he viewed the dump, he saw old refrigerators, old TVs, all kinds of appliances, furniture. And he said, he just thought for a moment, it took a lot of people's hard-earned money to buy all that stuff. They made time payments, uh, they, they bought this, they bought that. And he said, just to think of all their investments to wind up on a garbage heap. Jesus said, going to hell, he called it Gehenna, the name of the garbage pit in Jerusalem. And he said, a man without Christ is headed for the garbage pit for eternity. But I've got a harvest in the... Before they ever get to the garbage dump, it's in Souls and Samaria, Rodeo, Hercules, Richmond, San Francisco Bay Area, wherever. I'm going to Dallas tomorrow. George Rutenbar passed away. And uh, I just think when I go back there, there seems to be a huge church about every 10 blocks. And I come to the Bay Area, where are all the churches preaching Christ? Where are the churches that have anyone attending of any size? We're a small remnant in a huge harvest. God knows we need laborers. We need prayer warriors. We need somebody's eyes anointed that all of our pleasures will never reach the harvest. Can you say it's the will of God for me to do what I'm doing? Are you in the will of God? That's all that matters. I mean, I search my own heart. I don't even feel like I'm making a dent. All I do is preach around here and pastor a few saints. But my, the harvest is so huge. So many yet to be reached for Christ. This is his harvest. And it might just be one fallen, lonely, hated woman or some other person That God's appointed you to share the gospel with. And he could turn on. You know, it's amazing. Hear this. And I close. Is it not amazing that not one disciple went into the city? And no Billy Graham brought him out. But one changed woman turned a whole town upside down. Let me tell you, if God saved you and changed you, you're the labor force God wants. Go tell somebody what he's done for you, and who knows how many in the town will want to come out and see a man that can give you eternal life. We're his witnesses. We're his workforce. And I ask you, are you working? We used to sing a song, I'll pray till Jesus comes. And then we'd sing, I'll work till Jesus comes. our word." Till Jesus comes, I'll work till Jesus comes and catches I think he's waiting bride right away. I'll work till they give me a retirement plan. <laughs> I'll work if you'll pay me 25 an hour. No, I'll work for the one who saved me and put me in a harvest. We'll have our rewards there. The harvest is now. Now. Our worship team come. We're going to get ready to sing. I want you to bow your heads, I want to challenge you. I asked people in the first service, and I was amazed at their transparency and vulnerability. As I ask them, uh, how many of you feel you're not engaged in the harvest and you want God to stir your heart and show you where you can work in this harvest? Would you just raise your hand? I'm going to pray for you. Oh, there's a bunch of us, isn't there? I feel the same way. I'll raise my hand with you. I don't feel like I'm doing enough. God wants you. You're his only tool for the Bay Area. He wants your testimony. You're praying for people. Uh, Does anyone feel like you're out of the will of God, that you've just been coasting, and you're just not being fulfilled? Just not fulfilled. He takes away the fulfillment, that bread of the will of God that quenches your thirst. It's miserable to be his child and not in his workforce. May God give us repentance. Spirit of God, would you fan the smoldering embers of our dedication and fan us into full flame? You told Laodicea, you become sickeningly lukewarm, and your cure is you must repent. And you must return to your zeal for me. You've lost your zeal. There's no longer a burn in your heart. You've dissipated all your energies. I'm not the main thing anymore. It's uh, do this little thing, this little thing. Sewing club, ski club, hikes. And those are all pleasures you allow. But what's... What's the driving force in our heart? Anoint our eyes. Anoint our ears to hear you. And give us repentance, Lord. Don't let us be satisfied with dead American Christianity that wants to not be bothered with needs, bothered with the loss. Just keep preaching us nice sermons, but don't disturb us. Disturb us, Lord. Disturb us. Disturb us, revive us, revive us, stoop to use us, stoop to use us.